And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer and host of the Atlantic and Coastal. Coming back again, we're almost to the end, almost to the end. You can see the end of the tunnel in sight to this season, uh, which honestly I didn't think that we'd ever get to. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast all fall. Uh, Go out there on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Go rate and review us. uh, Help us get the word out. We love the five-star reviews. We love the feedback from everybody, so keep doing that. This week, we've got a great show. we got Grace Rayner, our Clemson football writer, joining us again. Uh, Fourth time on the show for Grace. I saw her last week up in Blacksburg watching the Tigers beat down the Hokies 45-10. to We have a good discussion with her. We talk about, you know, kind of where Clemson's at. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is back. Is he a guy that could win the Heisman, uh, possibly? You know, you miss those two games, but I think he's still the best player in the country. Uh, that doesn't always translate to winning the Heisman. We have that discussion there. We talk a little bit uh, about Tony Elliott and Brent Venables and what their job prospects might be in the future as well. Good discussion with Grace coming up here. But first, before we get to that, I do want to talk about what the ACC did last week. Um, it canceled the December 12th games for Clemson and Notre Dame. Uh, Clemson was going to have to go back to Florida State, did not want to, ended up not having to do that. Uh, Notre Dame was going to play Wake Forest. Uh, Once Clemson wasn't going to go to Florida State, the ACC couldn't very well have one of its title game participants playing a game while the other one has a bye that week, so they called that off too. Uh, Maybe Miami was a little upset about this, but I think the result was going to end up the same. Clemson beat Virginia Tech to get into the ACC title game. Now both Notre Dame and Clemson have a week off uh, to prepare for that. Uh, this kind of rankled some of the other commissioners out there. And when I say couple of these, one specifically, Greg Sankey in the SEC, uh, complaining a little bit about how the ACC has changed the rules to protect its top teams at the end of the year. Uh, my response to that is, I don't want to hear about it, SEC. I, don't, I do not want to hear one word about this. In a strange season where they made up the rules beforehand anyway, who cares if they're changing the rules a little bit? And I don't think it benefits these two teams all that much. I don't think either of them were going to lose at the end of the year to get knocked out. But, uh, you know, th- this is a season where you sort of have to change things on the fly, and it was extenuated in circumstances. But I especially do not want to hear it from the SEC because this is the conference that made it fashionable to be playing an FCS team the week before rivalry games in mid-November. This is the conference that in a normal season does not play more than eight league games i know the acc is in the same boat but you look at the big 10 the the big 12 the pac 12 they've all complained about that sort of inequity in past seasons and this is the same conference the sec that when it was expanding its schedule earlier this year it decided to give alabama missouri and kentucky 
and Georgia, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. Those were two teams that everybody thought was going to meet, were going to meet in the SEC title game. So uh, when he sits there and says, uh, the SEC is committed to playing a 10-game schedule. We're going to finish this whole thing, and the ACC is favoring its top two teams. The SEC has been doing that for a while, and even was doing that this season. 10 games, that's an interesting number that he brings up, too, because you know how many games Clemson and Notre Dame have already played? 10 games. I know those aren't all ACC games, but that is still a pretty big schedule there. Uh, certainly a lot more than what the Big Ten has played. Uh, the SEC is, is kind of catching up to what the ACC did, started a bit earlier there, too. And I think the SEC maybe should not get all high and mighty about what its schedule is like this year. It's not the meat grinder that it usually is. I'm looking at Florida's five regular se- last regular season games here against Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU. Uh, I do not think that's exactly a murderer's row there. So this idea that the SEC is going through this 10-game schedule and is so much tougher than the ACC that's trying to make it easier to match them, I do not really buy that argument. I think what the ACC does did was probably the right move. It streamlined the process a little bit. Uh, it got it equal between Clemson and Notre Dame. Again, Miami might complain, but I don't think Miami was going to get in anyway. You need Clemson to lose uh, a game to Virginia Tech that it was not going to lose at one by five touchdowns, and it certainly wasn't going to lose at Florida State for that to make it happen. So if ever there was a season that you sort of make rules up on the fly, I think it is this one. And I think maybe the SEC should maybe just sit this one out a little bit and not complain too much. All right, we're going to go over to Grace Rayner next. Grace talks to us about Clemson, the college football playoff, and everything else going on with the Tigers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, joining us now is Grace Rayner, our very good Clemson beat writer. It's her fourth time on the show. That ties Matt Fortuna. Uh, that's good. He was bragging a little bit too much last week about being our, our most frequent guest. Maybe this takes him down a peg. Grace, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm, I'm in good company, but I, I do want to beat him. So you'll have to invite me back. Well, Grace, I saw you in Blacksburg last weekend. Uh, covering the Virginia Tech-Clemson game, and this is what we learned. Clemson is still very good. 45-10 uh, to 10 win against Virginia Tech. I uh, was close for a while, close in that first half, and you know Trevor Lawrence throws an uncharacteristic interception in the end zone in the second half, and, and then all of a sudden, turnover, touchdown, turnover, touchdown on the same play, and the route is on. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway for Clemson in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest takeaway, especially now that we're, you know, several days removed from it, is just at the time, I think this is kind of the standard that Clemson 
um, is held to because at the time you're watching this game and you're like, Clemson doesn't look that good. You know, they, um, tre- like you said, Trevor had that uncharacteristic interception. He said he wasn't seeing the field super well. The the defense looked a little vulnerable in ways that we're not that used to. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's a 35 point win. So I think that's the, the biggest thing I took away is that um, Clemson is playing at such an elite level right now that a quote unquote sloppy win still being a 35 point win just shows how far ahead they are from everyone else i thought virginia tech had an interesting plan in that game where they were going to limit the possessions go really slow they they broke the huddle late uh to so they wouldn't tip off the play to brent venables on the sideline uh the result is clemson had its fewest plays that it ran this year with 52 it also had its best yards per play at 8.3 so it's like you can only keep the ball away from them so long but when they get the ball they're going to do a whole lot of damage when they get it yeah for sure I mean they were incredibly efficient that surprised me too I mean and look like I thought one of the most interesting things that Brent Venable said after the game was like I don't blame Virginia Tech for doing that they've got the number one pick on the other side of the ball you got to protect your defense um but that was I mean they them running 52 plays I mean they average almost 80 like that was significantly lower um than what they're doing every week and and just a a game we hadn't we hadn't seen we hadn't really seen anyone attack them like that. Trevor Lawrence uh, he threw for 195 yards, which is kind of meh for him. I mean, normally he's up over he'll throw over 400 routinely. Uh, he did have 16.3 yards per completion. They started hitting some big ones eventually. He was pretty good on the ground, I thought. Uh, he had two touchdown runs, but I thought just the way that he carried out those fakes. Uh, I mean, they were setting that up all day for him to finally score on it. Uh, sort of impresses you as a runner. You don't think of him as a runner, but uh, he, he did pretty well there. I want to ask you big picture about Trevor. Uh, that This is probably not the kind of performance that wins you the Heisman. You know, people look at stats and it's, oh, he's got to have 400 yards and five or six touchdowns in a game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is pretty much known as the number one pick in the draft. Everybody knows it's where he's going to go. I think the Jets know that. That's why they're running defenses where they're setting an all-out blitz to lose a game on the last play, basically. Uh, Does he have a shot here? I mean, he missed those two games. You look at guys like Kyle Trask and and Mac Jones and and probably ahead of him. I mean, are we going to get through Trevor Lawrence's career and he does not win a Heisman? That is, I think, the million-dollar question. I mean, I think if you were to tell anyone in Clemson, okay, Deshaun Watson's not going to win it, and then your next generational quarterback's going to come through, and he might not win it. Like, I I can't wrap my head around that either, that, like, is this going to happen? But, I mean, look, Clemson has said, you know, Dabo Sweeney has talked about this in the past, and he has said, well, Trevor doesn't play in fourth quarters, and this is a statistics-driven award, and so... Uh, Clemson's stance is if we wanted him to win the Heisman, he would be the leader by now, but we're trying to win games. And then Trevor himself was pretty candid when he got COVID-19 and had said, I understand this is a performance-based award and I missed two games. So um, there's a level of awareness there, but it is still kind of weird because it's like, how could, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. He's. I don't know that we've had any doubt that he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. And yet then there's this other thing that doesn't totally line up. Yeah, he missed the two games, one of them very important. I mean, Notre yes, Dame, for sure. that is the marquee game on the schedule, and obviously he has another shot at that. Uh, so I'm curious if he has a huge game against Notre Dame, which is number two 
in the college football playoff rankings right now. Puts up just gaudy numbers, comes back and goes, hey, that whole time that I was gone <laughs> for those two games, I'm still the best player in the country. Uh, you know, it's always sort of last impressions with this Heisman thing. And the last thing you see of a guy is what you really think about him. Uh, could he get into that conversation, do you think, with a huge game? I think so. I mean, we know that this award can have some recency bias. Um, we also know that sometimes this award is one where people are casting votes before conference championships are even over, which is insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's beyond, I don't think it's out of the question that he has a insane game and puts up huge numbers. They win. They punch their ticket to the college football playoff. People remember, oh yeah, this dude's the best player in the country. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's... I don't think that's that's crazy. I think that could happen. I think it's interesting. We always kind of uh, gravitate toward the quarterbacks on these teams, even if they're perhaps not the best player on that team. I mean, I, I look at uh, Kyle Trask at Florida. He might not even be the best Kyle on that team. I mean, Kyle <laughs> Pitts is so outstanding. Uh, Mac Jones is a very good quarterback at Alabama, but that team is loaded. So I don't even know if he's the best player on that team. I think you look at Clemson and you go, Trevor Lawrence is the best player on this team. And, uh, you know, apologies to Travis Etienne if I'm slighting the, the two-time ACC Player of the Year there. But I feel like uh, this team is what it is because of Trevor Lawrence. Am, am I off base there? No, not at all. I mean, he, he is. He is the best player on this team. And, and Dabo Sweeney has said, like, we think he's the best player in the country. And they've been very vocal about that. But it's interesting that you mention, you know, is Kyle Trask even the best Kyle on his team? Because Trevor actually kind of brought that up a few weeks ago when he was like, the other part of this award is how do you evaluate different people at different positions? He's like, how do you, if you are looking at this statistically, how do you muddle through a quarterback versus a receiver versus a running back? So it, it, it's, it, it's an interesting conversation, and um, I, I don't know what the, what the answer is. But, yes, you're right. He is 100% the best player on this Clemson team. Well, let's look at forward a little bit. Uh, the ACC does Clemson a favor this week and just outright cancels the Florida State game. <laughs> they don't have to uh, fly back down to, to Tallahassee to get outside the stadium and find out they aren't playing again, which seems to be uh, sort of the MO right now whenever you go to Tallahassee. Uh, what is the, the mood in Clemson of this, you know, having this late break like this and, you know, getting a full week to prepare? And, and you know, the ACC did the same thing for Notre Dame and did not make them make up that Wake Forest game. Both teams are, are sitting out this week. Uh, that, that's got to be nice, I would imagine, if you're a coach, just to have that preparation time instead of going in on short notice. For sure. Clemson also has finals this week, so it's a it's a busy week for them. All around, but yeah, I mean, I think they have been wanting to get another shot at Notre Dame, obviously, since November 7th. This has been something that they've been working towards all season, so I think they're very eager. Um, but also, yeah, they get this extra week to prepare. I'm interested to see um, Brent Venables and Tony Elliott are going to self-scout each other this week, and obviously they're not, not going to reveal what they find, but I always think that that's interesting when uh, Brent sits down and looks at the offense and Tony sits down and looks at the defense. Um, and then just get healthy. You know, I think that that's huge for Clemson. They still have some day-to-day -day guys that maybe another week might put them over the, the hump to have everyone full ready. Well, handicap this, this Notre Dame game for me a little bit. Uh, that was obviously a very high-scoring game the first time out. Clemson was missing a lot of key defenders in that. Obviously didn't have Trevor Lawrence in that game, but DJ Uyangalale looked pretty dang good uh, throwing the ball. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that first game, and, and where do you think the Tigers can kind of shore up some of the problems they had in that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at that first game, um, Kyron Williams was a problem, uh, especially in the first half. I think he ran for, I think it was 102 yards in the first half. Um, So that was an issue. And that was something that Brent Venables talked about, just needing to shore some things up there. Um, But I do think that it's just, when I look at this game and I look at round two, um, it almost, it just, it feels like it's going to be a different Clemson team. You know, I just when you don't have James Skowski out there, when you don't have Mike Jones Jr., they didn't have Tyler Davis. It's Sometimes it's hard for me to compare what I think happened versus what I think is going to happen because I just I don't know that it's even entirely the same group. And I know it's the same way with Notre Dame. They're obviously not the same team that they were a month ago. Um, but I don't know. That's, that's the part of me that's excited about this game is to see both these guys at full strength uh, really have a, a slugfest and, and go at it from that perspective. I'm always interested to see angry Clemson like we, mm, we yeah. always see Clemson earlier in the year and they're just sometimes they're just kind of going through the motions and they'll always have that game where they slip up a little bit and it's closer than it should be but by the end of the season you always kind of get angry and motivated Clemson and I have to imagine it's even more like that uh going up against a team that they have already lost to uh, any sense of the uh, extra motivation? I mean, it's, it's not often that Clemson gets, I, I, they're not going to be underdogs, they're going to be favored in this game, but th- this is a team that they're trailing in the standings. Uh, any sense of if that's an added motivation or if this team puts a little bit of extra juice into uh, its preparation with something like that? I think they know, obviously, what they're playing for. You know, they know that if they win, they're in the college football playoff. If they lose, their case gets complicated. Um And then I think there's a little extra motivation just from the sense of, you know, two of Clemson's best players that game. You'll remember Travis Etienne and Amari Rogers both had back-to-back fumbles. It was a 10-point swing. Like, I just, I think that there's just the the veterans on this team, um, they, we don't, we don't see them make plays like that usually. And so I think they're eager to clean that up and shore that up. But yeah, as a team, um, Clemson knows, obviously they got beat, you know, and, and that's not something that they experience very often. So I don't think there's going to be any shortage of motivation, but um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but they, they, they know if they win, they're in. What if they lose? Let's, let's go into that for just a second. Uh, right. you know, they win, they're in, they're the, the ACC championship, ACC champion in that situation. I think Notre Dame, with the resume that it's put together, would probably also be in mm-hmm. in that situation with one loss. Uh, let's say Notre Dame wins. Notre Dame's unbeaten. Uh, let's just, for the sake of argument, say that Alabama beats Florida in the SEC championship, too. Those are the two locks for the playoff. Would Clemson still have a chance with two losses, do you think? This is where I, I don't know. And I don't – the playoff committee, too, this year just seems to be, like, confusing us more than ever. I feel like there's more questions than ever about some of the decisions that they're making. Um, but I remember – when was it? How many years ago was it when, when Georgia was making a really strong case as, like, a two-loss team and people were like, is this going to happen? When was that? They all run together. Georgia's in it every year. It's just (laughs) like, uh, I don't know. There's like the same five teams in the playoff every year and like six teams that are competing for it. So I I can't keep them straight. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing how a two loss team that's not a conference champion gets in. I mean, there's no precedent for that, obviously. Um, But then I also do kind of see the argument of like, well, if you're looking at the best teams, like, can, can you actually say Clemson is not one of the best four teams in the country? 
it feels like this year more than any other year uh, the committee's going to have to use the eye test. Yes. Because these resumes are just so unbalanced. Everybody's played within their own league the whole time. Uh, you know, in the scenario that we'd be outlining, Clemson would have two losses, both to them. I mean, say it's a close loss, too. I mean, they could be two close losses to a team that is unbeaten and number two or possibly number one in the playoff rankings. Uh, how do you judge that against other teams? Let's look at the other teams that might be uh, considered here. Ohio State right now is number four. Ohio State has played five games. Right. <laughs> it's, I mean, you're comparing that to a Clemson team. The Clemson is what now? Nine and nine and one. They're is nine and the one. Mm-hmm. So they've played uh, five, twice as many games as Ohio State at this point. Who knows when Ohio State's playing again? The Big Ten's meeting today to figure out a way to uh, change the dumb rules that they set up in the summer to <laughs> to get Ohio State <laughs> the championship game, as they should. I think they should do that. Uh, no reason being beholden to rules you set up in like a, a five-minute meeting this summer. But, <laughs> you know, even if Ohio State wins that championship game that it plays, it could be 6-0. and And it's just tough to uh, to break that down. Uh, Florida, in that scenario, I'd, I'd say that they would lose to Alabama in the scenario I've outlined. That'd be their second loss. Texas A&M right. would be 9-1 and if it wins out. It's not playing in a league title game. The one game it played against a top team, it got destroyed. So... Uh, Iowa State, two losses right now, could could potentially beat Oklahoma again, unbeaten Cincinnati. I just think there's so many teams there that I look at a, a potentially 9-2 and two Clemson and I go, that's a pretty good resume still, even with two losses on there. They've, they've kind of, they've run through their, their schedule other than that one little uh, hiccup against BC. I, th- I think you look at the whole schedule, it's still pretty, your resume is still pretty strong. Yeah, and I think the playoff committee, when the first set of rankings came out and Clemson was at three, they really set themselves up to say, this is a good loss. Like, they they, they gave Clemson the benefit of the doubt, even though Ohio State was unbeaten. Um, they They had basically made it clear, like, this one loss is still better than an Ohio State team that has played however many games it was at that point. And so I think that's gonna come into play as well, because they've already told us, okay, this was what we consider to be a good loss. It was a double overtime on the road against a top team. Three defensive starters are missing. You're without your quarterback. Like they've laid all of that groundwork. So then they can't reverse course on that loss. So, you know, does that, does that make any sense? Like they've already made it clear that they respect that loss. So what, if this happens again, do you hold that same opinion? Grace, we've learned from the committee that they can do whatever the heck That's they true. want. <laughs> I don't know. They will I come know. up I'm with their four too teams, much. and then they will justify a reason to get in there. Sometimes That's true. It's, it's how many losses you've avoided. Sometimes it's, it's the best teams that you've beaten. <laughs> who can? Who are the best ones you've beaten? They can overlook a bad loss like that. Sometimes it's game control, like how dominant you are. Sometimes they'll forgive injuries and opt outs, and like. This is true. They're going to come up with credit. Yeah, they're going to come up with their four teams, and then they're going to justify it afterwards. And then there will be no rule of thumb to go back and go, "Oh, that's how they did it." And I feel like I feel like this year that's especially the case because this is such a weird year to begin with. They could put whoever they want up there and just go, "Eh, "2020, am I right?" And then (laughs) just go, "That's our justification for this." I think that's a pretty easy plan. Uh, I wanted to ask you. uh, Obviously, Clemson had a, a big offensive day. Uh, against Virginia Tech has been a very good offensive team for a while. Uh, looking at Tony Elliott, uh, Virginia Tech fans might have an interest in this based on some of the message board stuff that I read. They're very interested in him as a, a possible head coach if that job comes open. 
What are, is your, your take on Tony Elliott and how he's been as a coach? And do you see him as a, a future head coach out there? I for sure see him as a future head coach. And I think he's one of those guys that ha- his track record and just really everything about him, I think he's one of those guys that can go straight to a power five job um, from Clemson's offensive coordinator position. But yeah, I mean, he's just, um, he's he's an, he's an actual engineer. So he's he's incredibly smart, first of all. He's very meticulous. Um, he has a really great demeanor about him. His players love him. He's just one of those people that you just, enjoy being around because he's always extremely steady. I've never seen him worked up. I've never seen him mad. Um, There's this like, this is random, but there's this um, video of him that I think ESPN plus put out where it's in the Fiesta bowl and, you know, Clemson just comes up with a huge touchdown drive and everyone's celebrating and he just like puts his cap back on his pin. And that's kind of how he celebrated this like huge moment in this game. He's just very, he's just a very steady, cool, collected guy who um, recruits well and I think would absolutely make for a great, a great head coach. It's just a matter of the fit and when he's interested. He told us last month, like he's not answering his phone. It's interesting. I look back. He won the Broyles Award a couple years ago. Uh, Venables also won it uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, since 1996, there have been six winners of the Broyles Award who have not gone on to be head coaches. Uh, Joe Brady last year was really young. I think he will be a head coach uh, in the short term, <laughs> maybe in the NFL, uh, probably not college at the, at the rate he's going. Uh, Bud Foster was another one, interestingly, to link it to Virginia Tech. And then Venables and Tony Elliott are the other two recently. Uh, what is your take on Venables, too? I mean, that's a guy that gets brought up every year, and then he's kind of sticks around, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to stay around there forever as a defensive coordinator. I don't know if that's true. Uh, he's got a situation now where his son is there. Uh, that's a, sort of an interesting dynamic to have. I, I don't know if a coach would want to leave that necessarily, but uh, do you think he'll be a head coach before long? Yeah, I mean, Venables is the one is tougher to read because Tony in the past has expressed like this is something he wants to do. And like, I I feel like we all know Tony when the when the fit is right and the place is right and the timing is right. This is something Tony wants to do. Venables, it's tougher to get a read on. Are you interested in being a head coach? Like you said, he has um, he has two sons on the team. One is his youngest son is a freshman. And so he's talked about that in the past in terms of, hey, you know, I kind of sold them on this dream. <laughs> you know, their their dream is what it is playing at Clemson because of something I sold them on. And so um, he's he's the one that, like you said, like he's he's always going to come up in in these searches and his name is probably not going to go away anytime soon just because he is so good at his job. Um, but I've never gotten like a definitive read one way or the other. I've never gotten, oh, he's going to be a coordinator forever, but I've also never gotten, he wants, he wants to be a head coach and he's going to take steps to, to get there. How does Dabo do it? How does he keep these guys (laughs) in the fold so long? I I know they pay them pretty well, uh, but still even well-paid assistant coaches out there go on to head coaches when the time is right and when the opportunity is there. Uh, how has he kept this group? I mean, it, you go back to Chad Morris. He left pretty early to go for that SMU job, and maybe that's a cautionary tale to some of these other guys out there. I mean, I guess he did well at SMU, uh, not so much at Arkansas after that. But, you know, how does Dabo keep these guys happy and in the fold and, and sticking with them for so long? Yeah, I mean, they, they talk a lot about they just really enjoy the lifestyle at Clemson and they enjoy the culture that they, they say Dabo has built. I mean... Dabo's been very vocal about like, hey, 
go be a dad, you know, go, don't miss your daughter's dance recital. Don't miss this game. I mean, they, Dabo's very intentional about making sure that they are present with their families and they have this balance. And I, I think they're just, um, just really happy. I mean, Tony obviously went to Clemson and so that's his alma mater. He has that connection. He played at Clemson. Um, but I think that sometimes they look at this and they are just very intentional about like, is the grass greener? You know, Venables gets to mad scientist it up every day and doesn't have to worry about boosters and the media and, you know, all the obligations that come with a head coach. I think he likes that part of it. Um, but I think it's just an environment that, that Dabo has fostered and, and really nurtured over the years. Yeah, it's an interesting contrast. Venables with his get-back coach that's pulling him back <laughs> up the sideline all the time. Then Tony Elliott just like calmly putting the cap back on the pen. Right. <laughs> I know. Now that you say it like that, that's actually like the perfect juxtaposition, I feel like, to describe the two of them. Well, Grace, you've earned a weekend off coming up. Uh, go enjoy it. Go, don't Thank think you. about don't think about football for a weekend. <laughs> uh, there's plenty of football to be worried about in a couple weeks at the ACC championship game. Grace Rayner will be there. Follow her at, at GM Rayner on Twitter. Uh, Grace, thanks for, so much for joining us again. Yeah, Andy, thanks for having me. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, thanks to Grace again for coming on the show. Uh, there's an interesting conversation we had in there, in there about Tony Elliott and the reason uh, we brought that up, I think, you look at the Virginia Tech situation right now with Justin Fuente. It is getting uglier here in Blacksburg. The Hokies have lost four straight. Uh, they've lost five of six. This is the team's second four-game losing streak in the last three years. Uh, before that, you had to go all the way back to 1992 <laughs> for the last time that happened under Frank Beamer. 1992 was also the last season that Virginia Tech finished the regular season under 500, which this year's Hokies have already clinched. Uh, things have just not been going in the right direction. This was a team earlier this year that, you know, early on had some COVID problems with the roster and Fuente, you know, patched things together. I think uh, Pat Forty even listed him as number two person as a mid-season coach of the year. Uh, and then as players have come back, the team has just really not played that well. The last two games against Pitt and Clemson have been blowouts, but you look at this last one with UVA coming to town. Virginia Tech is a two-and-a-half-point favorite somehow. I, I'm not sure uh, how that's really the case. But, you know, UVA comes in with a four-game winning streak, uh, the exact opposite of Virginia Tech, and the program just feels like it's on an upward trajectory. 
where it does not feel like that in Blacksburg. Uh, the recruiting has been not great the last couple of years. They don't have a, a single four-star in this class. Uh, the transfers have been constant. There's just been constant churn. And I realize not all those are guys that have gone on somewhere to play very well, but at a certain point, it just stresses your roster so much to keep losing players like that and have so much turnover. Uh, there just seems to be a constant cloud of negativity over this program that uh, you never really hear great stories about this team. Uh, the on-field problems have been evident uh, just with the wins and losses in the last couple of years. Uh, the post-Bud Foster defense is not great, uh, and you wonder if they're going to be able to pull out of that without the steady hand of a guy who was the defensive coordinator here for a quarter century. And it gets to the point where you wonder if it's a point of no return. Uh, can Fuente pull out of this? Uh, you know, the last couple years, they've had losses to Old Dominion, a bad Duke team by 35 points, and Liberty. And I realize Liberty is, is better than people think, but that's still not a team that Virginia Tech should be losing to. Uh, these are sort of the type of things that people would uh, consider generational losses, and they seem to be happening every year. So you wonder about Fuente. You wonder about him. You wonder about his relationship with the athletic director, Whit Babcock. I know that was frayed a little bit last year when Fuente had a dalliance with Baylor and looked into that job and coming off of a season where it looked like Virginia Tech had kind of turned things around, had gotten over that hump, and then lose to Virginia at the end of the year, lose to Kentucky in the Belk Bowl in the game they let get away in the final seconds, uh, flirtation with Baylor. All that happened, and I think there's a little bit of a, a fracture there with the AD, and a really good season was probably a way to mend that, and they have not had that. So it poses Whit Babcock with a $10 million question coming up. That's when the buyout drops on December 15th for, for Fuente. It's maybe not quite as bad financially as it sounds. That's something that would be paid off over four years in quarterly installments. So it's not like it's a lump sum all coming at once. But that's still a pretty big financial bite to take for an athletic department that you know just cut salaries and had layoffs to save $15 million on a, a budget shortfall that's ex, that was expected to be up around 40 to $50 million this year. So I don't know exactly how they proceed with this. Uh, this was once hailed as the perfect coaching hire. This is a cautionary tale about why you do not judge coaching hires five minutes after the, the hire is made. You wait a little bit, bit and see how that goes. Uh, this is once hailed as the, the perfect union at the beginning. How you handle a flawless transition from a coaching legend. I mean, they were writing odes about, oh, you, you kept Bud Foster and everybody's happy. There's no animus. And then the wheels fell off a couple, <laughs> you know, not, not long after that Florida State win in 2018. So, I don't know which direction it's going to go, but I'm increasingly having a tough time believing that this is a group that you just run it back the next year. So there's going to be changes somewhere. I just don't quite know if it's going to be all the way at the top. Secondly, I'd like to talk about the Scott Satterfield uh, thing real quick. Uh, just what are you doing, Scott Satterfield? Uh, an incredibly bad look. Talk about frayed relationships with an athletic director. This is a point-by-point uh, -point way to do it on how to, to blow your trust with your athletic director and your fan base. Uh, to recap, he says he's not interested in the South Carolina job. Uh, he says that publicly. He goes up and he ends up talking to South Carolina about the job. It gets out and he looks terrible. Uh, he comes back and tries to do some you know, PR cleaning on this whole thing, and he really made it worse 
when he was talking, he comes back and he says that, you know, it's, it's one thing for coaches with families and it's another thing for players who have to be all in. Uh, probably not the time when you're, you're uh, testing your own commitment to a school to be making statements like that about how it's an unequal thing and coaches get to do one thing and players don't get to do the other. Uh, sometimes it's just mind-boggling, uh, the word salad that some of these coaches put out there. I, I think that they would be smart to hire a PR person, to <laughs> a personal PR person to avoid this. Uh, there seems to be something in the water in Louisville because this is uh, like a Bobby Petrino type thing all over again. Uh, you kind of feel bad for that fan base that's already been through this before. And uh, for a, a coach like Satterfield, who last year was everybody's darling. I mean, he, he took over the Petrino regime, uh, which was a mess at the end. He gets them up to eight and five. They're, everybody's talking about them as a contender this year, and it's been a disaster of a season on the field. They're three and seven. Uh, they've lost some some big guys to opt outs and, and go into the draft. Uh, this was not the time to be making a mistake like this. I mean, this is going to be something where this is something that could get you in trouble with the school because you, you have to get over that hump and be trustworthy again in the ADs and, and the fans' eyes. And uh, that's just a tough way to do it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but again, I would suggest to these guys, hire, take your million-dollar salary. You know, some of these guys are making three, four million dollars. Take a couple hundred thousand out of that and hire a personal PR director that just, you know, prevents you from putting your foot in the mouth like this because I, I think it is certainly worth the investment. Lastly, I want to talk about the games this week. Uh, the big one out there as far as the ACC is concerned is uh, UNC at Miami. Uh, Miami's a three-point favorite in that game. I'm fascinated by this game. I think this could just be an entertaining game. Uh, I have been skeptical of the Canes all season, but you can't really deny that they are 8-1. Uh, what is that old Bill Parcell saying? You are what your record is? Uh, yeah, it has not been pretty at times, but they're 8-1. and And they go out last week, and they did exactly what they needed to do against a pretty bad Duke team. They pounded them. It was 48 to nothing. Uh, I think Miami looked refreshed after coming back from that break where they missed a couple weeks uh, with the COVID problems they were having in the program. Uh, should be uh, re-energized for a game like this against UNC and an opportunity to, to you know snag that uh, number three spot and, and sort of stake its claim there at the end of the season in the ACC. UNC, I don't know what to believe with this team. This has been a very tough team. I think it's a good team, but uh, you know there are certain games they show up and certain games they don't. And this is a, a team that could score 60 in a given a week, and it's also a team that could turn it over five times. Now, I don't know which Tar Heels are going to show up. Uh, the one that uh, you know looks so good offensively in, in blowing out Wake Forest a couple weeks ago or the one that just, you know, the tap shut off against Notre Dame and they couldn't do anything. Pretty good quarterback battle in this matchup. Sam Howell versus Derek King. Uh, a couple of all-ACC candidates slugging it out there as an all-ACC voter. I will be watching this result carefully to see which of these two do better. Uh, probably leaning towards Sam Howell right now, but you know if Derek King finishes this off and Miami has one loss in the season as it gets through, it's going to be tougher and tougher to, to not have him ahead of Howell. Other games in the ACC real quick. Uh, Pitt is a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgia Tech. Pitt crushed Virginia Tech and then got crushed by Clemson. So I, I would imagine that they're probably somewhere in between of those two teams that showed up. I would also say that Georgia Tech is a lot closer in talent to Virginia Tech than it is to Clemson. Personally, I like Pitt in this one, especially if Kenny Pickett is healthy and, and slinging it around like he was a couple weeks ago against the Hokies. Wake Forest is at Louisville. Uh, I was somewhat surprised to see the Cardinals 
as a two-point favorite in this game. Uh, Tutu Atwell just declared for the draft. He's not suiting up. JV and Hawkins had previously opted out. I still kind of feel like everybody's sleeping on Wake. I know they're running back. Uh, Kenneth Walker has just opted out as well, but uh, they had won four straight before that shootout loss to UNC. And even in that game, they scored 53 points. Uh, so I kind of like Wake Forest going on the road and beating a Louisville team that uh, has obviously had a, a pretty crazy week with the Satterfield news. Uh, last game, Duke at Florida State. Uh, Florida State is a four and a half point favorite in this. I mean, oof, I, I don't, I have no idea what to expect in this one. I mean, Duke is a team that just uh, looked like it was ready for its season to be over last week. Uh, Florida State is not played in three weeks. Uh, schools keep coming down, and then they have to keep sending them back, unable to play there. I mean, it tells me something that Duke is pretty bad at Florida State that is one and six in the ACC has had three straight games canceled or pushed back as a four and a half point favorite. So uh, my advice on this one would be to not bet it. Do not bet it. Go outside, get a breath of fresh air, uh, maybe sit a couple plays out on this one. That's going to do it for this show. Uh, it's another one in the books. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Thanks to Grace for coming on, uh, giving us some insight on Clemson again. As I said at the top, uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Go subscribe to The Athletic, too. You can listen to this whole podcast ad-free. You won't have to listen to me, uh, you know, hawking ads for The Athletic and how to get a great deal. We have great deals over there. You, have, you can buy one and get one free right now. Uh, that's a great Christmas idea. Uh, go out there, buy one for a friend, and then just have one for yourself. It's called the elf tax. You get one for somebody else, you get your own your own present as well. At least that's what my wife tells me about it. Go follow me at uh, Twitter at AndyBitterVT. I'll be at the Virginia-Virginia Tech game this week and perhaps covering some interesting coaching developments afterwards. We'll see how that plays out next week. Uh, but we will be back on the podcast as well. We'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.